Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Whenever you get to that point, whether it's a promotion, whether it's a bonus, yes, it feels good for a couple minutes. Um, and you realize the fleeting nature of external uh, achievement. And don't get me wrong, it's having more money is a very good thing. It makes life easier, but you know the, and your listeners know the marginal utility of an extra dollar flatlines at like 85K. And so it's not the billions and millions of dollars that really bring that shift in happiness. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Okay, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah. So, you know, I actually came across your story by way of our former guest, Christine Lai, who said that you have been basically called Oprah for millennials. And I thought, okay, this is somebody I have to talk to because this just sounds <laughs> absolutely fascinating. But before we get into um, your actual work, I want to start with a question that I have found has been very interesting and revealing. And that is, what did your parents do for a living? And how did that end up impacting the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Wow. Um that is that is a really that is a really um, deep question that I've thought more about now than I've ever had in my life. I'm I'm 37 and three quarters for for context for your listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents. Uh, so the the short answer is that my dad uh, worked one job at the United Nations in New York City for 35 years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was his first job after moving to the States in, uh, the early seventies. I was born in the late seventies and, uh, yeah, different era. We'll put your head down one job, um, and do it, do it well. Don't, don't think about the grass is greener and optimize for comfort, uh, not risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom was, the, a teacher, it, uh, was a teacher and she, Took a break, probably t- ten odd year, seven odd year break, while my sister and I were growing up. Uh, but she was a French teacher for her her entire career, save save for that break. And so, and the, the reason why I think a lot about this uh, recently is probably a little bit less related to actually. I'll, I'll, st- I'll step back. One of the reasons why I think a lot about it is that I left a very kind of comfortable, predictable, well-known career track where I was having good success and actually didn't know what I was going to do next. And so for an immigrant family who basically came to the States with nothing but but their degrees, no family, no savings, just um, a, a dream and, and a work ethic, um, it was a little bit. Uh, it was a little bit of a shock for them to for me to, to 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 do something so abrupt, and so that's one of the questions I always get from people. Is the first question I get is, "What are you doing about health insurance?" The second question <laughs> I get, which is a very we should talk about that too. The second yeah. question I get is, um, "Is uh, what did your wife think?" And then the third question I get is, "What do your parents think?" Uh-huh. And, uh, and I think about it a lot in terms of, of the, the way in which I grew up, which was middle class. It felt a little bit more kind of lower middle class in terms of not much focus on stuff, uh, very much of a focus on experiences. But, you know, in the 80s, whether it was starter jackets or Air Jordans um, or in Super NES, uh, there wasn't much of that um, in, in our house and you, you had to either save up for it, which on a $5 allowance, it would take years uh, <laughs> or just not get it. And, and I think that that I really honor and respect that upbringing and that, that frugality. Um, but it does have a little bit of scarcity thinking behind it. And so when you fast forward, you know, 30, 38 year old, old guy worked in finance um, the world's changed. The tools have changed. It, it, there is, 
there, there is this need to kind of reconcile and reprogram some of these beliefs that you had growing up that, that mostly came from your family mm-hmm. uh, into your current personal circumstances, your uh, professional circumstances, and the environment that we're living in. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So that, that actually <laughs> raises uh, a question. You know, you mentioned reconciling and reprogramming sort of the beliefs and, and mindsets of the environment that you were brought up in, which really was it was the question that I was actually headed towards. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, having grown up with parents like this, especially a dad who worked at the same job for 30 years, I and mean, my dad's a college professor, so I, I think we both have had a very similar um, mm-hmm. sort of narrative. I'm curious, I mean, in your own life, how you've managed to unwind that narrative that you've been brought up with, especially when it's been so entrenched into your life, um, uh, you know, over the course of your life, how have you, how have you managed to unwind it in your own life? Yeah, it's, it's really hard. And I think you probably culturally come from a similar respect where there's just similar, um, uh, background or mindset where, there's such a strong um, uh, em- emphasis on respect for elders, mm-hmm. particular, particularly your parents. Um, and layer on one additional part of that is that I'm, I'm a pleaser uh, by uh, personality-wise. Uh, and so it's been, it, it really is, it really tugs, tugs at me because the last thing that I ever want to do uh, is be disrespectful to my parents who gave everything uh, to my sister and I. Mm-hmm. Um, but with age and with a lot of um, self-inquiry, I realized that a lot of, um, a lot of these beliefs um, were holding me back. And, and so you start to, you, you get to a point where where it, I hate to be so crude, but it, it's almost like a cost-benefit analysis <laughs> uh, of, of what they were. And so I think one of the big things was um, always being respectful about it uh, um, with my parents. And so one one thing that really and and it's like it's it's like winning an, or convincing someone uh, in an argument, someone who might disagree with you politically, mm-hmm. is really speaking in a language that they can speak to. Uh, and so when when I left my job, it wasn't at first it was like risk and money and status to some extent, but then I reframed it not because I was being sneaky, but I said, look at I'm being the father that I want to be. Mm-hmm. I am, I am such a better father now because of flexibility and all the other stuff um, versus when I was, you know, always on a BlackBerry and traveling and, and were responding to emails at, you know, Saturday nights. And when you put it in that common language in, in, with a value that they really um, understand mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and associate with. Then it then it really kind of changed changed things for them. So it wasn't like I'm abandoning everything you taught me. No, far from it. It was actually I am doubling down on one of the uh, key values you taught me: the importance of family. Uh, and while maybe shedding some of the other things uh, that came with it. Mm-hmm. And then there's just a flat out reality where. Um, I wouldn't say, I mean, my parents are going to be listening to this, but sometimes <laughs> you just, you just like lie a little bit where that, you know, 150, $200 pair of jeans, it was like 75 bucks and call it a day. <laughs> yeah. A tactic you know, some, used, something's won't change. Yeah. Yeah. A tactic I've used many a times. How much do those shoes cost you? Uh, about a hundred bucks. <laughs> it's like, why is there a receipt for $300 in the bag? Exactly. Exactly. And the biggest thing, and this is, I'm trying to have this conversation with them now because now, I mean, we're just, we're all adults now. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, and a lot of it does come down to communication. But the biggest thing that I'm trying to, that I I want them to get, that that I've learned about myself, that actually now I have things to teach them as well. Um, And the biggest thing that I want to share with them, a part of this rewiring was this belief that, to enjoy something, you must suffer. Uh-huh. And that is very much, I've seen it as kind of an immigrant way of thinking. Um, 
And I just don't believe in that anymore. Um, and, and, and especially with my parents now who are getting, getting older and they're in retirement. If anything, I don't, I'm sure you and I would agree that we don't really believe in the concept of retirement in the yeah. traditional sense, like snowbirds in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are in their retirement in the sense that they don't have to work. And, and it's like, remove that element of suffering. Don't, you know, second, second, triple guess yourself when you're, you're, you're indulging yourself. And it's not even Starbucks. It's just like (laughs) deli coffee versus deli coffee. Uh, Because there you you do, you unlock joy and and joy in the moment, you know, and and that's where I think I can um, uh, share you know, learnings with them. And, and that's a beautiful thing when, when the kid realizes that he can share um, um, with his elders and his parents. So, you know, I, I have a question about this. Um, you know, my, my parents are familiar with my work. They've read, you know, my book. They don't listen to the podcast, but um, I'm curious how receptive your parents have been to uh, this way of thinking. Because, I mean, I love my parents. I would not say that they're entirely receptive to the mm-hmm. sort of message of go live a more meaningful life. And, you know, I always jokingly say I think Indians believe in, uh, you know, a deferred life plan because they believe in reincarnation. <laughs> and I always say, you know what, I'm if I get reincarnated as a cockroach, I, I think I'm going to, you know, gamble most of my life. My, I'm going to try to get as much as I can out of this life and not, you know, consider the second one. Yeah, yeah. And so how... The, the question is how they... Pers- yeah, I mean, how, how receptive they, have they been to your ideas and, and sort of, you know, getting them to change their minds about things? Yeah, well, my, my dad will say, um, so when are you getting a job? I'm like, no, 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 this, this, is, this is the job. <laughs> and, uh, and then my mom, uh, you know, we, we still laugh a lot about blogging where... She'll email me my typos, uh-huh. uh, and so it's like, no, it's not said. It's, it's not like the newspaper, uh, and so then I kind of at a at a, at a joking uh, level. I think that they they're coming around. Well, and the other thing is, once the Oprah for Millennials article came out, it's like, can we send this to all our family? <laughs> <laughs> then it's like, then things are like a little bit better. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but in, in, in all seriousness, I think the thing that I think that they've gotten comfortable with the fact as a finance or former reformed finance person, they're comfortable with the fact that I'm not going to make a financially irresponsible decision. So that's a big worry off off of uh, uh, their mind. That, that would be one thing. Yeah, uh, I think the thing that really um, makes I think there's two things that make them uncomfortable. One that's smaller and the other that's bigger. So the smaller one is this concept, and you'll know exactly where I'm coming from with this, that you would do work for free. And so I think they didn't understand that, you know, I started this small email newsletter, which has grown into Rad Reads, um, and I would spend, you know, two to seven hours a week on it. And they just, they, they could not understand that there was no direct monetization for seven units of time. Meanwhile, you and I know that you build that up and then abundance, right? All these things start to happen, things that you would never have imagined happen and things that you did imagine would happen. So that would be the first thing. Um, and then the second one, and I think a lot of, this is not limited to my parents, mm-hmm. but the question is, why you need to be so vulnerable so publicly. <laughs> okay, and I think that's not just them. That's my whole Wall Street brethren. Yeah. Uh, just wondering, like, why, why, are you, why are you going there? You know, especially at, especially at the beginning where it was so, it was, it was so new. Uh-huh. I had left all this change in my own life. Um, and I think that, that, you know, a lot of, now I'm just going to speak generationally, not even my parents per se, Uh is just this belief that males in particular um, have to be, you know, emotionally strong, indefatigable, know it all. They have every answer. They're never afraid. And I mean, you and I know that's bullshit. Um, But I think that uh, the older generation is like, what? I mean, even if it's bullshit, 
why why would you like go around screaming on the top uh, on, on rooftops uh, about it and, and calling attention to it? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so I'm curious. I mean, you mentioned uh, being a father, and I am very, very curious about how this whole experience has um, changed your perspective on raising kids. And, you know, I, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it's a loaded question because I don't have kids. But, you know, mm-hmm. I figure maybe all these interviews will arm me for the day that it actually <laughs> happens. Yeah. Well, nothing will arm you. Uh, but uh, having kids, I guess I'm going to start with a very New York, um, maybe lesser San Diego issue, but um, it has to do with school mm-hmm. <laughs> and private school uh, and the cost thereof, but also with, um, you know, external external validation and, and, and slash judgment. And it's just something that we're going through right now, you know, because our daughter is the mature age of three. Uh, so you should be thinking about school. Um, but I guess I, I really, the, the combination of stepping off of a very known track, really, I needed to do the work and develop the confidence to really stop caring uh, about what other people thought. Um, and by no means am I an expert in that. I think that's just life's journey mm-hmm. um, that dates back to our, our caveman ancestry. But I think that what it what it cleared up for me specifically when it when it comes to parenting is only you know what's best for your kid. And and I think that that, that sounds very obvious. But when you live in in a society slash uh, professional environment uh, slash coastal bubble uh, where there are a lot of things that are just uh, assumed about and, and here I'm using education specifically but everyone has um, advice about how things should be done with a child and they're the first one that really kind of upset my wife and I when, when our child was born we love to travel uh, they'd say, oh, well, you're not going to travel for another six years. And I'm like, really? Like, that's a bummer. Uh, and then and then a few hours or a few days later, I was like, no, we're going to travel. And and we had um, and, and we went on. We happened to go on. Our daughter has been traveled. She's been on four month adventures across Southeast Asia with us. Um, and so I think that you need to you need to really have that conviction in kind of your own beliefs, your family beliefs and your own values uh, to, to, to know that only you know what's right and people are going to second guess, people are going to give you advice and you should listen and be open to it. And so I, think I, would, I kind of tie that in with the external validation part and, and, and the child part. So again, it's me answering with my immigrant child mindset of a very pragmatic piece. Huh. I think uh, on the more emotional side of things a switch flips and it's just not about you anymore and someone who was very manic about career who was very much kind of achievement driven um, it's not that you lose the desire to do those things but they really become less important uh, and and I think it kind of people talk about the losing that edge a little bit in, with aging in general. But I think kids, uh, having a kid really uh, makes a, a step function out of it. And, and overnight, the center of your world shifts away from you and your spouse or your marital unit to the, to the child, like, I mean, in bio, biologically. Um, and I think that that's beautiful. Uh, I think it usually hits people at a time when they're probably ready for some kind of internal shift. And at the same time, it's absolutely terrifying. Um, and, and, I, and I lay that on now with a second coming. I'm like, on the way, I'm, I'm like, oh, my God. We barely can keep our head above water with a first. Um, how are we going to do it with a second? 
well, let's do this. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. And I want to talk uh, specifically about your career and kind of, uh, you know, the trajectory of it and how it has led you to the work that you're doing today. So kind of walk mm. me through through that journey and some of the significant sort of transition points and inflection points in it. Cool. Okay. Uh, so you got a little bit about my background. Born in New York City. Uh, I pretty much always lived in New York City. Um I think the one part that I want to, because it comes back to childhood, that, that your first question, um, I was kind of a nerdy Magic the Gathering, <laughs> quasi-hacker. I was so skinny. Uh, everyone wanted to be my friend. I was the guy. It's like, oh, he's such a nice guy. We'd never date him because we wouldn't want to ruin the friendship. It was like the worst thing that you could be labeled as as a high school male. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And I say that because that story with with distance, it kind of you, you see it resonate over and over again in my career. Um, went to Yale, uh, studied computer science and minored in economics. Again, I was only going to study things that would bring me more income potential uh-huh. um, and then left and started investment banking in 2001. Uh, and so I was in investment banking for a little under two years and then in a much smaller part of the finance industry called fund of hedge funds, um, which is where you're a fund, but you invest in other hedge funds uh, at two firms. And I did that for um, the, the combined was was 14 years. Uh, the last eight years I was at BlackRock, big, big publicly traded financial services company where I ran the New York research team. And so that was, that's the finance chunk, but I'll, I'll walk you through, through a few of the different uh, step functions. So I absolutely hated investment banking and ran away from that, like the plague, plague where I realized that there was no way that I was going to work uh, 100, 110 hours a week uh, with a completely unpredictable schedule. Um, I then went into uh, Fund of Funds, which was actually a nascent in 2003. I mean, hedge funds have been around for a long time, but the, the wave of hedge funds, this was like right around the Alan Greenspan era, uh, was really starting to take off. It was really kind of the golden uh, era uh, of hedge funds. It feels a little bit like startup uh, startups now, where you, every you turn left, you turn right, every 25-year-old is on their third and it wears it as a badge of honor. And there's a little bit of, uh, there's a little bit of, of ego and, and humble bragging around it. But I caught that hedge fund uh, uh, wave as an investor um, kind of early uh, in, a, in its life. And the cool thing about um, the hedge fund industry is it truly is some of the smartest people you've ever met that are, um, running these hedge funds. And there, there's a lot of them. And my job was to go around, not at the beginning, but at the end, was to go around a little bit like a VC is to find them, cultivate relationships with them, and then ultimately decide if you want to invest with them. And then I guess the difference with a startup is you have the ability to redeem. Uh, and, and so do you want to keep the investment? And it was so cool, such a cool uh, world because, because of how quickly it was growing. But also, it really required you to have a very, very broad knowledge. Um, you would have to be able to talk to someone who invested in bonds, to then to invest, to talk to someone who invested in small cap stocks, and then someone that did, you know, quantitative algorithmic trading. Uh, and that was just a deeply, deeply um, intellectually uh, rewarding, um, intellectually rewarding experience, and you got to meet some um, phenomenal people. Um, I did that at a small firm for my first four years, and then I moved to BlackRock, where um, uh, where I spent my last eight years. And I think there were two two things that really I think were my secret weapon, I guess, my competitive uh, advantage it, it, in those early days, kind of in my my twenties, my twenties to mid twenties. And the first was. Uh, I was a voracious um, learner, but but in a way that was a little bit unhealthy in the sense that I 
consumed white papers and textbooks uh, and just like really boring stuff. And I would always, I, I kind of shaped my career around optimizing for um, promotions and financial reward. Uh, and so I think, you know, that's a good thing, but I think I did it so excessively in the sense that I don't think I read fic fiction in my 20s, period. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, I think it, I look back now as someone that almost not, not only reads fiction, but I probably 50% of my reading is fiction. I'm like, man, what a waste. <laughs> yeah. I look back at college. I went to, uh, I went to Yale, which has some of the best, you know, history of China, constitutional law, art history, and all I took were economics and computer science classes. And, and now I'm watching these classes on some MOOC. And I'm like, I went to that school. Like, why did I actually get the real thing? Yeah. But alas, you learn these, you learn these things of age. So I was, so I think one thing was I was hyper, hyper focused on develop consuming information and consuming difficult information. Um, and then the second thing, um, I guess, I guess there's three. The, the second thing, which is related to the first thing, is I had mastered every productivity hack. Uh, out there, especially in the early 2000s, which was before blogs, uh -huh. and so you had to you had to a create them yourself, or b find them in God forbid books. Um, and so I, I had I had lots of little hacks, and, and we could talk about that uh, as well potentially. And then the third thing was a heavy, heavy focus on on relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think you had Adam Adam Grant as a yeah, guest, definitely. Um, and, you know, his book really crystallized it for me because I knew I was, I had an approach that people thought I was crazy to just help people and not ask for anything in return. And uh, especially in finance, they look at you like you have three heads. Um, and it just never happens. No one goes up to someone else in finance and says, hey, I just want to be helpful. What can I do? Um, they're like, you want something and it's going to be pretty big or pretty bad. Um, and, uh, and so that was, a, that was a thread that really kind of carried me through, throughout my career and really um, expanded uh, into some of, some of the work that I'm doing now. So, so that was kind of the, the early part of the career. And I think BlackRock was a, was a big kind of inflection point. It was kind of like the back half of my, my finance career. Uh -huh. But maybe I'll just stop there for a second because I've been talking a lot. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting because you, your story parallels my friend AJ Leon's on so many levels. I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but I'll, I'll have to tell you about him after we get done. Um, you know, yes. He walked away from a high-profile investment banking job four days before his wedding. And out of all that, something that caught my attention that you said was that a good amount of everything you did was about optimizing for promotion or financial gain. Mm-hmm. And I, I am really curious, um, you know, what are the life lessons that you took away from approaching a career like that? Like with that being such a, a driving force behind your career and, and what would you want people to know about that? Because yeah. I'd imagine as somebody who worked at a hedge fund, not only did you manage to do it effectively, but it worked really, you know, in your favor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm going to answer that, uh, with a story about the rock. Okay. And, um, and so the rock, the rock, I think last year was the highest paid, um, entertainer in, mm-hmm. in Hollywood, 45 million bucks last year. Okay. And I just saw this little clip he did in some Asian GQ magazine <laughs> and, and it said, um, he talked, it was talking about his background, which I didn't know about, but he, he was very poor, uh, homeless and, uh, and his way out of poverty was through wrestling via having developed this insane body physique. And so for him, he always goes, uh, to the gym at four in, in the morning and just like goes berserk at the gym. And so he, in this interview, in this little quote, he says, the, me going to the gym at 4 a.m. every morning is, is a way of telling myself that I will never be in poverty again. And I'm paraphrasing. And then he, he, there's an ellipse and he goes, I probably should talk to someone about this, but whatever. Um, and, and I think that it really, um, you know, it's hard for me to, to, to preach about like you know, preach or share about finding yourself pursuing happiness. And people are like, oh, but you, like, you made all this money and you, you got the thing that people want. Um, and so we don't have that. So we can't, we can't do those other things yet. And I think the, the reason why I brought up the story about The Rock is that whenever you get to that point, whether it's a promotion, whether it's a bonus, Yes, it feels good for a couple minutes. Um, and you realize the fleeting nature of external uh, achievement. And don't get me wrong, it's having more money is a very good thing. It makes life easier. But you know, the, and your listeners know, the marginal utility of an extra dollar flatlines at like 85K. And so it's not the billions and millions of dollars that really bring that shift in happiness. I had to learn that. I had to experience that. And, and, and my, the, I'm nowhere in that category uh, uh, of financial success. But I kept, I, I, would, I think the thing that, that I would share is I was lucky. I got promoted to managing director at 31 years old, which it's hard to tell, but the average age is probably in your late 30s, early 40s. Mm-hmm. 
And so I had a, a, a really, um, I had a head start on that. And I got that and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, now what? Um, I, it feels nice and, and I, maybe I get a few extra meetings now because of my title. But to go back to The Rock, that emotional unsettledness, whether it's the racing mind, the inability to be, to be present in, in front of uh, loved ones, hell, I'll say it, like feeling like an imposter, um, it, it, those feelings don't go away. And, and so that kind of launched me into some of the, 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 the work that I'm doing now. And that, that's the message that, that really, really gets me excited. And so I give you, I give you it in numerical terms because that's how, how I think. I think uh, my life uh, was, you know, I, I'm like The Rock. I don't look anything like The Rock, but <laughs> I... I do, I do overcompensate for some of the things I talked before with a lot of intense physical exercise. Uh -huh. And so, um, my, you know, my passion for physical fitness, let's say is an eight out of 10. Um, I talked to you about not reading fiction for 10 years and reading white papers on vacations. My passion for consuming and developing skills, let's say was eight out of 10. My emotional my ability to emotionally self-regulate, what it looked like if you had a video camera inside of my head, it was a two out of 10. And I wasn't unhappy, but I was just like, I think it's just the natural human angst. You know, the Buddhists call it the monkey mind, the comparing mind. Um, you know, other people call it stress. Other people uh, call it imposter syndrome. It's just, it's, it's being human. You know, I think Naval Ravikant said it is like with all this technology gains, our operating system is still 10,000 years old. And I think that was my realization that, you know, maybe my external, the features looked cool, but the OS was still really, really old school. And there were, and it needed tending to. And so what, what I would say is that, um, I would say two things. One, if you take your emotional, you know, I was an emotional couch potato. I was an eight out of 10 and kind of on the physical side, you know, nowhere like the rock and an eight out of 10 in terms of consuming information, knowledge, not reading fiction. Um, and then I was a two out of 10 emotionally in terms of that constant unsettledness, uh, envy, still envy. Um, and, uh, you know, the inability to be present ar around loved ones. And so I realized that I just needed to get off the couch, the emotional couch. And, and the same way that if you just take a 30-minute walk each day, your, um, your risk of heart disease will, will plummet. I was trying to figure out what was the, um, the, emo the equivalent uh, of, of taking that walk and really building up that, that self-knowledge and, and that emotional self-awareness. And that's, that's where, where I kind of saw this secret where, again, this scarcity mindset, zero-sum game Wall Street guy said, well, okay, if you take your, your two to a four in emotional self-awareness, then you must take a point or two from the other columns. And what I realized as I started to do this, this self-work was you add to the third column and you also add to the first and the second call. And, and I was like, I was blown away. I'm like, holy shit, this is, this is incredible. And you actually start to feel better and you unlock creativity and all the, the beautiful things that you talk about um, you know, in your work and on your podcast. So tell me about how this all finally leads to um, the work that you're doing today and the work that you're, you know, and about the work that you're doing. Because I know that you've been called Oprah for millennials, which, uh, mm -hmm. which is what prompted my interest in your story. Um, and then the other, you know, I just, uh, just doing some research on you, I've seen that you've been an entrepreneur in residence. So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about both of those things. Absolutely. Um, so I, uh, when I left finance in, in May of 2015, we, we went on a what I say a family version of eat, pray, love. Uh, <laughs> we, we took the one-year-old and we got a one-way ticket to Bali and, and just kind of hung out, went off the grid and, and just really 
started to think about what 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 was next, what what was important in, in our lives. Here's the catch: I I left finance thinking that I was going to start a venture backed uh, fintech company. I knew trading systems. I new data, especially the data sets that, that finance, uh, finance firms were willing to pay large amounts of money for. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm holding up horse blinders on my, on my face right now. And they went from being straight ahead to open maybe 15 degrees uh, widened aperture. And so, okay, I'm going to be a fintech entrepreneur. And I've written this in a few blog posts. I wanted to build a company and sell a company for $50 million. Why $50 million? It's like, because if I said like 200, that I'd be so arrogant and 50 was hard enough to, to seem like a difficult task, but not something that would make, make me seem like a, like a total um, narcissist, uh, which again, it's like the arbitrary nature of that is, it's, I laugh just saying that, realizing that that's how my mind operated. Sure. Um, so I get back from this trip and went down the path of maybe starting a venture fund. Didn't really have the confidence. I mean, to, 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 to leave that and to not know, not, it's not even knowing what you're going to do, but not have a story for others about what you were going to do, especially in a, a, you know, especially coming from immigrant family, especially coming from finance where there are two states of the world in finance from a finance person's eyes. You're either working or you're on vacation. That whole part in the middle of experimentation and iterating and all that, that's vacation. And for someone that's used to being known as a, as a high performer, the last thing I wanted to be known is someone that just took an extended vacation, especially when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. But fast forward, I finally, because of some of those emotional tools um, and practices, I was able, I, I started January of 2016 just writing and I had never really written before publicly or, or, or privately. I mean, I'd done technical writing and I'd started writing about how confused I was. <laughs> um, and I started writing about this weird thing, how everyone expected that I would know what I was going to do next. I started writing about what it's like to watch your bank account go down every single month, every single day. Um, after you've only seen it move in one direction for 15 years. I started talking about how hard it was for me to be present in my marriage and with my daughter. Um, and I just kind of put it out there. And I put it out in my blog. I had this small newsletter. And it was five, ten, ten people reading what I was writing. Um, but I think what was really... There were two things that happened. One was it hit on a few levels. I think one, I was writing from the perspective of a former finance guy that if you looked me up, you're like, oh, okay, this was a serious professional. So there was kind of credibility in that world. The second was people kept coming up to me and saying, thank you. You are writing things that I have thought about my entire life and no one has ever said. Um, I've never read about it, never heard anyone talk about it publicly. And I'll, I'll come back to what those some of those things were. And the third thing was, and that's why the newsletter and the blog is called Rad Reads, was like, if we're going to talk about serious topics, like let's pay homage to surf and skate culture and try to use the word rad as often as possible. Uh, like, let's not take ourselves too seriously. And I think I was heavily influenced by the voice of um, uh, Tim Urban, mm-hmm. who takes... He's really caught, you know, that post the tail end about, you know, how many Super Bowls we have left before we, we die, but takes it and, and makes it accessible, but hard hitting mm-hmm. and, and relatable. So, so I was writing in, in that voice. And then the second thing I was doing was, you know, I didn't know where this was going. To be honest, I still don't exactly know where it's going, but I was experimenting a lot. Um, and I think that one of the, the things that I did was, um, I started to tell these daily stories on Snapchat and I had three followers on Snapchat, you know, I'm 37, 38 years old. 
Uh, my friends still think that Snapchat is a sexting app. Uh, <laughs> and so they're not on it. And, and I just started sharing. Um, the, I'll never forget the first, first, or first or second story that I shared where I said, don't let anyone define success for you. Success is a very personal journey, and only you know what it means. And I just shared what, what, what I thought it meant to me at that point in time. And someone wrote back, one of the, I think there were maybe were nine followers at the time, and it was a 20-year-old uh, who was at Tufts, and he just said, I really needed to hear that right now. And I was like, what? Is this happening? I, I, like, I didn't know anyone responded on Snapchat, A, to begin with, mm-hmm. and B, that this thing that I just, I was just kind of, you know, emotionally rambling. Um, but the, it really connected with this one individual. And I just started doing it over and over and over again. I started writing a lot on my blog. I started um, some experiments that didn't work well. I, I thought that I could do one crafty kind of Instagram-ish meme with some motivational text on it. I'm just saying it out loud. It's like, of course, that didn't work. Uh, but I was delivering it to friends via SMS. And keep in mind, I have no media. Ex- at this point, I have no media experience. Like, I'm, I'm tech forward, but I don't know the tools and I don't know how to use WordPress and things like that. And so I'm just chipping away at it. And But I think with the same message, and, and that goes back to the, that pie of things that I was writing about. What was mm-hmm. I really writing about? I was writing about fear. I was writing about ego. And I was writing about mortality. Um, and those are three uh, topics that, uh, you know, especially like grown adult men, they don't really want to talk about that. Um, and, and I was just, I was going there and I was going there through, and I think that's really the Oprah for millennials. I am honored. That's a huge, huge, uh, that, that, that is a task. Uh, it's an aspirational uh, title that I don't take lightly at all. But I think the one thing that I do take was, away from that was the, the public confessional as a form of self-therapy. <laughs> and, and that's what I was doing with no, like, no, real, um, no real goal in sight. I, I, the, the real marker was, was I finding joy in what I was writing? And was I uh, able to create meaningful connections with people through, through my writing and my other experiments? And then in 2016, in the back half of 2016, four incredible things happened. Uh, the first were, you, you alluded to, there were, there were two great pieces of press, um, the Oprah for Millennials and CNN and Bloomberg, uh, the Wall Street guru. And that kind of took me from just this thing amongst friends to, to a much broader audience. That was the first thing. We can come back to that. Uh, the second was I was invited uh, by courts to be their entrepreneur in residence. Uh, the third was um, a few of my readers of my newsletter and blog asked me to come in as a coach uh, to their uh, portfolio managers at hedge funds. And so there, 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 was a, there was the first kind of business model element of my work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the fourth was I gave a TED talk, a TEDx talk in, in London and kind of all those things, they happened so in hindsight, they happened so quickly, but there was, there was no rhyme or reason. I was just kind of like the cartoon of, of that chef that has all these pans on like in his mouth and, and flipping stuff and falling all over the place. That's kind of the approach that I was taking uh-huh. with the two metrics of success being, do I enjoy doing this? And am I connecting with people uh, in doing this? And these four things that happened really kind of took things um, to, to, to the next level, I guess. And so, so that was kind of, uh, that's, that's a part of what I'm doing now. And maybe that's a good segue to the second part of the question that you had asked mm-hmm. uh, around courts. Yeah. Um, and so I've been, it's been six months now that I've been, the entrepreneur in residence uh, at Quartz, and uh, Quartz being the uh, the digital um, media company, 
and I was invited. Uh, someone in uh, in my social in my social um, circle, friend, but not a close friend, was just kind of watching afar from kind of what I was doing. I think there was. I think everyone at the beginning was was watching what they thought was going to evolve into a slow moving train wreck. Um, <laughs> this kind of high high achieving finance guy that decides he wants to be a writer and wears his heart on both sleeves uh, in a way that maybe is a, a little bit uncomfortable to many. Uh, but one of uh, one of the uh, editors um, was kind of just watching watching what I was what I was doing and and. She asked um, if, if I would be interested in in kind of taking these this inaugural uh, role within within at Quartz, where I where where I could really um, grow these experiments and and really learn learn from the best, whether it's from storytelling or editing or some of the most more experimental things that that Quartz is doing with their app or the, the bots and things like that, uh, or whether it was on the monetization side. And in exchange, I would bring kind of a, a fresh perspective uh, on media, I guess. I, mm-hmm. I, I almost cringe calling myself a media person, not because of the industry itself, but I'm like, no, I'm not, I haven't really done anything yet, guys. I'm still <laughs> working on this. Um, and so, it, so I could bring a different perspective. Um, Quartz is very much into building uh, a community and, and organizing events. That's something that, that I could help there, and I could write. And so my writing, I think I've written 12 pieces on Quartz, um, and it's really starting to hit a stride. And I've just, I've just tremendously improved uh, as a writer. Mm. Wow. You know, <clears throat> I think the, the one big question that comes um, from all of that is you, know, you mentioned that the the primary metrics by which you measured your success were you know am I enjoying this work and is it allowing me to connect with people in a meaningful way? And I'm curious after you've experienced success if that has changed at all um, and if so how? If if my uh, personal version of personal yeah. definition has evolved? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that. I'm constantly, so this is the first thing I do is I, I constantly write it down. I think that writing these kind of nebulous ideas down uh, is, is uh, a, it seems like an obvious step, but a lot of people, uh, it just takes effort. And, you know, whether it's values, whether it's, you know, thing, things like, a, I call it a success statement. Um, I think that uh, people don't invest the time to do it. And so they become less crystal clear as you're doing it uh, or when you're doing it. Um, but I think, so how, how has it evolved? I think um, I, in, in my definition of, of personal success, uh, one of the key met- metrics, I don't even want to call it metrics, it's really kind of uh, states, is am I being the father and husband that I want to be? Uh, and there's a, you know, there's a financial responsibility of providing, but I think much more in the nuances of, am I emotionally present for them? Am I, am I focused when, when I'm with them? You know, you hear me come back to this focus point a lot. And it's something I struggle with that with my mind racing at a, at a million miles an hour, um, when I'm, you know, with my with my three years, actually her birthday tomorrow, and and, and really being present and, and watching her and giving her my all. Uh, the second is the ability to um, do work that connects with others. Um, and I think that when I look back at my finance career, there there were clearly traces of that. I loved being a manager, which is not something you often hear finance people say. Because uh, managers in finance tend to, 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 it's not a function that's that's held that that's that's held on the highest pedestal. Uh, the highest pedestal being, are you a money maker? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, the ability to to impact others uh, and connect with others. The third is the, what kind of energy do I get from the people around me, and do I give to the people around me? Uh, and I can't. I, I guess I would tie that into uh this element of joy 
the third is, and the, the third or fourth is, um, am I able to generate an income to sustain these types, these things that I want to do from doing that type of work, right? Whether it's creating different types of, of, of creating. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the biggest question right now. There are many steps in the right direction. Um, I've been doing coaching. Uh, I've been doing keynotes. I'm in the process of, uh, propose, of, a, uh, of a book proposal. Um, and maybe some atypical ways of funding things like mm-hmm. Patreon and things like that. Um, but that's, that's the part that, that I haven't fully uh, uh, figured out yet. Uh, and then there's other things. Um, one of the reasons why we were in San Diego is the ability, we, we all want the ability to live by the ocean <laughs> um, and, and not the East River uh, of, of Manhattan. Um, and so, you know, there are things that the, the part of the reason why I left finance was I wanted to remove myself from the need to have a career in a financial hub because then you limit yourself to, you know, 10, 15 places in the world. Um, and so the ability to live near an ocean, ideally to surf every day. Um, that's another one. Um, the third, the, the, <laughs> the last, Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> you know what's up. Yeah. Uh, another one that's really subtle is, um, being able to express myself creatively, uh, both in my work and in my being. And this is, this is small, but, but you might see in many of my posts, I talk a lot about sneakers. I love Air Max's product of the 90s, late, late 80s, early 90s. And the whole process, it's my one kind of real material indulgence. Uh, the one part of my day that brings me the most joy is which sneakers are going to pair with my outfit. And, <laughs> and, but that's a small win. And I think what, what I want to – and the, the last one is the ability to, to – tr- to do, do work from anywhere in the world. Um, that's really important to us as a family because traveling is so important to us as a family. Um, and so I think what I, what I want, the thing that I, the real realization though that I had, Srini, is that there is no step function that gets you there, whether it's the rock, the rocks the example, or this, this even scientific studies that show that externally motivated um, external motivations uh, do not sustain the way internal motivations sustain for over a long period of time. But but the the, the more pragmatic realization that I had is that um, happiness, but even more just like fulfillment and, and what I would say inner peace, it's it's winning by a thousand small wins as opposed to big step functions. And I think that is the key insight that I kind of discovered. And so winning from a thousand small wins is that small joy in picking out the Air Maxes. It is in weighing out the coffee ground beans for my AeroPress in the one mug that I use every morning. It is walking my daughter to school, even though it's a three minute walk. Uh, it is the, you know, the smooth, I'm talking about my morning routines. I'm a morning person. It is about kind of the delicious smoothie that Lisa makes, uh, every morning that sets the day on the right tone. And so as you start to realize these small wins are everywhere, you just have to see them. You have to believe in them. Um, and, and that is, that's why you kind of, I, I say lead with joy you know, you have more agency around not spending all time or tons of time around assholes, right? Um, you have more agency than you think. And that, that is kind of the, 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 the pearl uh, of, of wisdom that I feel very fortunate to have discovered. Wow. Um, I can see now why Christine recommended you as a guest. Uh, <laughs> this has been just absolutely fantastic. So I have one last question, uh, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Um, what is... I think that it is a true, true, I I would say it's two things. It's a true belief uh, 
in themselves and the ability, which leads to the ability to cut through the noise and not, not live the stories that others have told you, mm-hmm. uh, that others have told you and others have, have, have stated as truths, truisms, paired with a compassionate heart and a genuine love and openness for other people. Well, I think that makes a, uh, a really fitting way to wrap up our conversation. Uh, where can people learn more about your work? Um, I would love for them to check out the Rad Reads blog, which is radreads.co. Again, the homage to skate and surf culture. Um, you can find uh, Rad Reads also on Snapchat. And um, I am, we have Facebook a Facebook page, which is also Rad Reads, and on Twitter, I love to um, engage and chat around all these topics. Uh, my handle is uh, Kemerid. It's my first name, K-H-E-M-A-R-I-D-H. Awesome. Uh, well, this has been absolutely fantastic, and for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator, that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.